0: The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracetysd.com. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly. For the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that he has had had started, so he should complete uh, among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Church family, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the testimony that was shared from our brother Max here. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you will help us to have eyes to see, ears to hear what your word says. Lord, we want to worship you and you alone. And so point out those counterfeit gods in our lives, Lord, because all it will lead to is just empty promises. We pray that you fill us with real life, we thank you for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as we talked about before, we're in this series, Counterfeit Gods, and um, really it's based off of this book here, uh, Counterfeit Gods by Timothy Keller. And so uh, if you like this book, I'll be here in the corner. You can come talk to me afterwards. I would love to meet you, and I'll give you this for free. Um, but I think it's a helpful book in uh, really dissecting some of the, the different areas where we can put our faith more than in God. And so our message today is the empty promises of money. Now, over a three-week span, we've looked at how sex, power, and now money can become idols in our lives. And so the question first is, what are idols? And second, how can money be an idol? Well, the first one is, uh, what are idols? Well, a working definition for idols is anything more central than God to our happiness, meaning in life, and identity. Idolatry is taking a good thing and making it into a God thing. Uh, When you and I become Christians, you know, the the God of the Bible uh, breaks into not just aspects of our lives, but every part of our lives and declares, I'm your Savior, but I'm also Lord. Abraham Kuyper said that there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And so how can money become an idol? Well, in this book, Counterfeit Gods, uh, Timothy Keller addresses this in light of the greed that caused the 2008 recession and also the shift in thinking within our culture today. And here's what he writes. He says, the new explosion in executive salaries, the increased emphasis on luxury goods, the rapacious deals that make millions uh, f- for the deal makers at the expense of thousands of common workers, the lack of concern about steep debt. All of these things represent profound social changes in our society. Paul Krugman writes about these changes in attitudes. He says, we should not think of it as a market trend like the rising value of waterfront property, but as something more like the sexual revolution of the 1960s, a relaxation of old structures, a new permissiveness, but in this case, this permissiveness is financial in nature. See, what he's saying is that there's a new way that we've looked at money within our culture that's very much different than maybe those who've gone before us. I was walking in today, and I saw right here on the corner here at UC High School, um, they said there's a a free financial literacy uh, courses that they're offering. And they said, being good with money doesn't come naturally. I was like, wow, this is really great that this type of class is here for students to take. And so they got that right. They got that right. Being good with money is not something that comes naturally. I saw one financial advisor jokingly say, I love holiday car commercials. Nothing is crazier than someone surprising their spouse that they just spent $175,000 on matching luxury cars without discussing it first. <laughs> is that, like, don't you, like, when you're, when you're watching those, you're like, Wow, who does that? You know, like, that's, that's, a, that's an amazing thing. And so you think about, that's the season that we're in. Where we are being convinced that that's the type of life we need to live. But is that how God enters into our life and says, that's how you should view money See, how does money as an idol play out in our lives practically? Well, Keller continues. He says, money can be a surface idol that serves to satisfy more foundational influences. Some people want lots of money as a way to control their world and life. And such people usually don't spend much money and and they live very modestly. They keep it all uh, safely saved and invested so that they can feel comfortable and safe in the world. Others want money for access to social circles and to make themselves beautiful and attractive. These people do spend their money on themselves in lavish ways. Other people want money because it gives them so much power over others. In every case, money functions as an idol. And yet, because of various deep idols, it results in very different patterns of behavior. The person... Using money to serve a deep idol of control will often feel superior to others and use money to obtain power or social approval. In every case, however, money idolatry enslaves and distorts lives. See, one of the things that that when we walk into this message today, the temptation is to believe, yeah, I don't struggle with that. I'm not a greedy person. I don't, I, don't, I don't really care that much about money. See, there's this temptation for us to believe it. But this reveals that the, the, the saver and the spender can equally make money an idol in life. So what is God's perspective of money? And, and what does Jesus say about it? Well, in the Gospels, Jesus spoke a lot about money. 16 of the 38 parables he gave were about how to handle money and possessions. Throughout the Gospels, an amazing one out of every 10 verses, 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Why? Because Jesus knows that the power of money and possessions can tempt us so much to put faith in those things rather than we do God. This won't be on the screen, but Proverbs 18.11 says, a rich man's wealth It's his strong city. And like a high wall in his imagination. Like a high wall in his imagination. It's not real. It's a figment of the imagination. You see, what are all the walls that we have constructed in our mind? I loved what Max shared. Because that was vulnerable and honest and saying, you know what? Like, there were some high walls in which I'd constructed in my life that I thought this would be my protection, my safety. But it came crashing down. And for him to share, it was a mercy of God's grace. Well, what a profound insight. You see, what are the walls that we've constructed in our mind that are built upon worry, fear, fear? Maybe levels of false pride and false security. Jesus desires for us to be free. So he addresses this issue in our lives. See, with Jesus, nothing's off limits. I love it. When my, my son came to me one time, and he said, Dad, it's, it's pretty cool that our money says in God we trust. That's pretty cool. But even as he said it, I'm asking myself, how much do I believe that statement? How much do you believe that statement? Maybe it's just a daily reminder that we look at it and we say, wow, that, that's a statement that, that should be true in our lives. Because if there's something that's keeping us up at night and, and there's something that's causing us to, to live in fear and anxiety, is it that we are trusting in God or that dollar bill? See, Jesus warns us in Matthew 20, or 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, You cannot serve both God and money. And when he uses this word for money, it's mammon. He's speaking specifically of the during that time, the God of money. You can't serve them both. But there's a God that's above money. And that's the God of the Bible. And so today, whether in plenty or in need, let's ask this question: Who do we trust? Who do I trust? Who do you trust? Again, our text is from 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2, and 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9. Paul is talking specifically to a church that he planted in Corinth, um, and we've looked at it in 1 Corinthians. Now we're moving into 2 Corinthians. uh, Same church, but still a lot of problems. Still a lot of issues. See, that's the process of sanctification that we are all in. And so, friends, we are all growing and asking God for the grace each day to keep moving forward. And so these Christians are coming from different backgrounds. Some are coming from Jewish backgrounds. Some are coming in are brand-new converts, and they're learning the ways of God, but they're all in this together. And so the question is, what can the idol of money do to us? And so we see three things that Paul addresses here in these passages, and so we're gonna break them down together, but uh, here's what they are. It can distort our, number one, perspective, number two, preference, and number three, priorities. Perspective, preference, priorities. That's what it can distort. So the first one is perspective. We're gonna look at uh, 1 Corinthians 16, one through two, and then uh, read into eight, three through four, okay? And so that's what we're gonna look at now. So here's what it says. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Verse uh, 3 in chapter 8. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly. For the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And so, what's happening here? Well, first, the Apostle Paul is calling the Corinthians to a global and a historical perspective of the church. Um, This is not a self focused perspective. This is not a me first perspective, but this is more of a global and historical connection that he's making here. So, First, look at verse one. Uh, As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are also to do, on the first day of each week, uh, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. First is the global perspective. Like, this is the big picture perspective that the Apostle Paul is trying to give the church. Here's what it is. He says, as I directed the church of Galatia. See, Paul, as he's speaking to the church of Corinth, he's saying, it's not just you that's a part of this, but actually there's a church in Galatia that I've directed to do the same thing. See, this was Paul's practice amongst all of the churches to take up collections to help the poor and fund the ministry. That's that's what he's saying. So the first one is like he's, he's, he's getting them outside of themselves. See, we all need this. Because when it comes to money, possessions, what is it that's the first thing that comes to my mind? How is this going to impact me? Right, it's a me first mentality, me first culture. And do you know what it's done to our culture? As people have studied, specifically the Western church, but also nations here like the United States, They found that as possessions and money have increased, our life and happiness has tanked. There's more and more depression. There's more and more thoughts of what is my life about? Loss of purpose. As we've gained more and more wealth and possessions. It's the opposite of what you would think would happen. Because we're being sold that those things are the answer. But really, it's not. It leaves us empty inside. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, as I directed the church of late, this is a pattern within churches that we should be outward focused. But he's also giving a historical perspective. In verse two, he says, on the first day of each, every week, um, there's a pattern here. So he's pointing them back to this pattern. Andrew Wilson, who's a commentator, talks about this. He says, reflecting, uh, this should reflect the ancient Israel tradition of giving of a tenth and offering of the first fruits of the crop. Basically, what that is saying is this, that at the beginning of every week, it's a reminder to me that money's not my God, but that God is my God. That God comes first. And so as we Break ties with this idea that money can save my life, that money is the end all be all. We see that it breaks the pattern of believing that this has control over me. See what happens every time we give? Is it ultimately, does God need our money? Does God need all this to happen? No. God is all sufficient with himself. He basically says, I own it all. But it's actually for our good. It's to release us from the bond of saying, you know what? I put my my trust in this instead of God. He's saying, okay, you give a little bit? You give just a little bit? It's just a little bit of the power that's being broken in your life. See, we are coming together with the global church, but also the historical pattern within God's people. Next he says, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. Now this is important. When Jesus looked at this woman who gave a, a coin, and then he looked at all of these Pharisees who had lots of money and they were they were doing it all for show. He says that woman put in more than all of them over there. What this is saying is that God has a different perspective of money, wealth, possessions than we do. He says it doesn't matter about that amount that they put in over there, but it matters about the heart. And I saw how much she sacrificed and she loves God. So Jesus is saying And and so what this is saying is that same heart God sees. And so each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. Each of us prosper differently. But the heart is the same. The heart is the same. So now let's drill down on this here. The Corinthians, even though they were far geographically we're not exempt from this collection. Why does Paul need to say this? Because he says this, he says, each of you. Well, it's probably because they thought that they were exempt from it. <laughs> they thought they were. Well, that, that's, that's fine what's going over the, on over there in all those different churches, but that doesn't really apply to me. Why does Paul need to say this? Because within human nature, we wanna make excuses about why it's not my problem to help other people. And we tend to distance ourselves from this. We do this all the time. We say, well, man, I'm I'm just not in a position to be generous with other people. I will later. I live in San Diego. Jesus said, one who is faithful with very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Stephen uh, Corbett wrote a book called When Helping Hurts, And he says, What is the task of the church? We're to embody Jesus Christ by doing what he did and what he continues to do through us. Declare, using both words and deeds, that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, who is bringing in a kingdom of righteousness, justice, and peace. And the church needs to do this where Jesus did it among the blind, the lame, the sick, the outcasts, and the poor. See, historically, Many hospitals, schools, and global relief organizations were started because of the teachings of Jesus. See, we were made to be generous. There was an interesting article written in 2015 in the Wall Street Journal. It was entitled, Does Charitable Giving Lead to Better Health? Lisa Ward says this. She says, Is it really better to give than receive? Do you know where that phrase comes from? It's not just... Some good idea, somebody came up. It comes from the words of Jesus. It is better to give than receive. She said, like, is it better to give than receive? Said a new study adds to a growing body of research that suggests it is. At least when it comes to your health. The research recently published in the Journal of Economic Psychology found that donating to charity may actually improve a giver's physical and emotional well-being. See, Jesus said this long before the Wall Street Journal or anything else. He's saying, I, I, I know how I made you, and I didn't make you to be close fisted, but I made you to be generous. See, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm the firstborn in the family, and I don't know what it is about the firstborns, but we are very, very uh, selfish. <laughs> we'll just say it <laughs> selfish. And there have been waves of grace and mercy that God has had to work over my life when it comes to generosity. See, this does not come naturally to us, but is a work of God's grace. And so who else is Paul, uh, what what else is Paul saying? Well, the second one is this, to have a long-term perspective. He says, verse two, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and to store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. What this principle is, and and I encourage you through the book of Proverbs, it's little by little. It goes a long way. See, we live in a very flashy time right now where we're just expecting the windfall to just come upon us. Yes, yes. I'm going to win the lottery and then it's going to come and all these things are going to be answered, right? We're waiting for the windfall, but the scriptures tell us that there's a discipline when it comes to money. There's a discipline to this. It's not just, oh yeah, it's just going to come upon me. I I recently was watching a, a video on YouTube. And you know, now they have all these, I didn't pay for the thing where you get no advertisements. I get the advertisements. And so there's this advertisement on there. And he's like, it's this guy. He's on there. He's like, Christians. He said, Christians, um, he's like, are you in mass amounts of debt? Are you in trouble financially? Are you all these things? He's like, don't, don't like think that you got to make sacrifices. Don't think you got to cut this or do this or all these things. He's like, I got an answer for you. And you know what? I was like, get me off this video now. Because I'm like, that's not, that's not Christianity. That's not the way of God. He's trying to tell you lies. He's saying you don't need discipline. It's like if you got, you got somebody who's coaching you on your health, your physical health, and they're like, you don't got to work out. You don't have to have a plan to go in the gym. Just go in there. Walk around. Be in that space. Enjoy it. Just soak it in. And you're going to be really fit. Doesn't work. That's a lie. See, that's the world. And Paul is saying, if you want to make an impact on on this world for the, the gospel, he says it's going to be little by little. But that's okay because the kingdom impact is much bigger than you can realize. Then he points next to this beautiful example of the Macedonian church in verses uh, 3 through 4. He says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Do you hear the heart there? They're like, We're going to do anything we can to be generous so that the kingdom of God can be impacted. And so this is a complete change in perspective. Next is preference. Uh, Look at uh, 1 through 2 and 5 through 7. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he started, uh, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Friends, I wanna point out to you that with all of this thinking, there is a gospel order in which the Apostle Paul is telling the people to, to follow. He saw it in the Macedonian church because here's what he says first. He says, they gave themselves first to the Lord. They gave themselves first to the Lord. They basically were putting themselves under the lordship of Jesus and saying, Jesus, you're in charge. Not just parts of my life, but every part of my life. You're in charge. Cut out whatever needs to be cut out. Bring in whatever needs to be brought in. You're my Lord. And then by the will of God to us. See, they were directed by God to say, here's what we want to we give. Here's where we feel like God's telling me, okay, this needs to be cut out so that I can be... Honoring to God. Now, what does this mean about the preference part? To understand this text, we gotta go backwards. And so Paul says in verse seven, but as you excel in everything in speech, or in faith in speech and knowledge in all earnestness and in, your love, in our love for you, see that you excel in this acts, act of grace also. So what he's saying is that the Macedonians experienced this grace of God that came over them. They say, I don't deserve this. I didn't earn this. God, everything is a gift from you. It's a complete gift. Now he's talking to the Corinthians. He's saying, okay, you've, you've experienced some things. God's worked in your life in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness, love. Like, there's, there's an area that hasn't been on the top of your priority list. Stephen Nicoletti, a, a pastor, uh, talks about this, and it was very helpful when, it, when I read it. He says, the Corinthians, you may remember from 1 Corinthians, had a special interest in miraculous, uh, re- uh, revelatory, spiritual gifts, as well as oratory gifts. For them, these are the kind of spiritual overflow they like to share, And so in verse 7 here, faith is likely a reference to miracle-working faith, speech is likely a form of charismatic speech, and knowledge is probably a kind of theological understanding. Earnestness and our love for you seem to relate to their relationship to Paul, which also benefits them. As one commentator commentator puts it, uh, the Corinthians were strong in activities that are local to and centered on them but weaken those that are for the benefit of those outside. In other words, the Corinthians had certain ways they liked to allow their blessings to overflow and certain ways they didn't. Theological knowledge to share with others around them, that they liked. A special revelation to proclaim to those they worshiped with, also a good one. But giving their money to a church hundreds of miles away which they would see no return on in their own lives, that they did not like so much. That was not their preferred way to overflow. wasn't their preferred way to overflow. And so they had a distorted preference. They enjoyed certain parts of being a Christian, but they didn't prefer this part. Being financially generous was not a part of that. And so... Now, let's contrast that with the churches in Macedonia. It says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So let's look at their situation. It says that there was a severe test of affliction. What is that? Could have been that there was a famine, war, recession that they were going through as they made these choices to trust God. Verse two, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, Paul uses the root word for the word abundance or overflow six times in various forms as a noun or a verb. So he's saying basically like there is something that's overflowing in their life because God is overflowing in their life. Verse five, this is not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. See, what had happened is as he's pointing to this church that there was, there was a generosity just overflowed from them because they'd experienced God's real grace. They were no longer controlled by the power of money. And so lastly, priorities. Look at verses eight through nine. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. See, what is Paul finishing out with here in verses 8 through 9? This is the key. This is the key. See, what's going to free us from the grip of distorted perspectives, preferences, and priorities? What's going to make us more real? Because when he talks about your love is also genuine, he's talking about something that's like real and transforming in your life. You are a different person. He says, It's this. Look at Jesus. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, was rich, the riches of heaven. Yet, for your sake. Did Jesus do this for himself? No. He became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. See, there's something in us that makes us feel like God, I can't go there. I can't go there. I know you're supposed to be the priority of my life, but like, I, I, I can't go there. Ultimately, what's God's priority for our life? That you and I become more like Jesus. <laughs> that's God's goal for us. If you wanna know everything, all cards on the table, that's Jesus' goal for you. <laughs> that's Jesus' goal for me. And so we become more like Jesus. What radically changes us to become more like Jesus. Seeing Jesus, looking upon Jesus. This won't be on the screen. I I love this quote, though. I was reading it with Max actually this week. I was like, dude, we're reading this book together and it's like talking specifically to this. Like, I think this is crazy. It's a quote from Thomas Brooks. He says, Certainly, if happiness was to be found in these things, talking about wealth and possessions, the Lord Jesus who is the right and royal heir of all things, would have exchanged his cradle for a crown, his birth chamber a stable for a royal palace, his poverty for plenty, his despised followers for shining courtiers, and his mean provisions for the choicest delicates. Certainly happiness lies not in those things that cannot comfort a man upon a dying bed. He's saying basically, if if Jesus chose to live this way, nothing can hurt you when He's protecting you, when you're trusting in Him. Just some quick takeaways. How can we avoid the empty promises of money? Number one. By considering my excuses. By considering my excuses. That's one that's just been on my mind all week for myself. What are the excuses that I'm just believing of why I can't be more generous? What is it? Lord, change me. See, the Apostle Paul was challenging his listeners to evaluate their lives in view of God's abundant grace. To be genuine means to bring your whole life into into the light before God open and to think hard and deeply. And, friends, let's all do that as a church. Lord, how can I be more like you? How can I be more generous? In the month of December, we're going to be taking up collection for multiple different initiatives that's just giving it away to bless for the kingdom of God. One of those is going to be a, a new school in Papua New Guinea uh, led by uh, our own uh, Tim and Diana Askew. And you know what this is about? It's, it's about two warring villages that have been at odds for generations, now being brought together and having a school together where their kids can grow up together. Wow. What a gospel initiative, right? Something that changes generations. And so for me, it's like, what are my excuses? The second is God's ways. We've got to remember God owns everything. God owns everything. When it talks about money and possessions in the Bible, it says that we're stewards. It doesn't say we're owners, we're stewards. And so a steward is a manager of resources that they don't own. <laughs> so, how am I, am I being a good steward or manager? That's the question. And that's the question we need to ask ourselves. For us, today, will we ask, where do I start? For some of us, we might be struggling in this area mightily, and I, and I just encourage you. There's great resources put together. I encourage you to look up Crown Ministry. Crown Ministry is probably one of the most gospel-centered uh, money management resources that I've found. It, it gives you the scriptures, and it, and it helps you walk through it, With a plan. Uh, At the beginning of next year, I want to make sure that we have some crown ministry classes that are going. And we just say, okay, how can we together just be faithful in this area together? But the encouragement is just like, this: start somewhere. Start somewhere. The Bible talks about percentages. So if you're like, okay, I can give 1% away outside of myself, try to give 2%. Try to give 3%. Try to give, grow in the grace of God in these areas. Lastly, the why. Throughout the Bible, God is very intentional about the why behind our sacrifice. And there are many reasons behind why we personally make sacrifices. For one, it can be fear-based. Another, it can be guilt-based. But the Bible talks about it being grace-based. grace based if you've experienced the grace of God, then you will be a more generous person. See, what was the motivating why for the people sacrifice in Corinth? They had just been saved. God had brought them from death to life. Jesus had saved them by his grace. And so it is through experiencing God's grace they are now asked to give. See, we know the ultimate why. Who is the true gift? Where is true redemption found? true salvation, the greatest payment that we could have never paid our sin at the cross. Jesus did it. See, God gave his son to save us at infinite cost to himself. And our giving is motivated because of God's costly grace for us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again and again. It is costly because it cost God the life of his son. You were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. And so what are the empty promises that we're believing today? They will never change until you and I understand That we were so valuable to God that he was willing to to give his life. He was willing to sacrifice, willing to die for you and me. And it's in Jesus' giving that we find freedom from the empty idols of money and success. And we lay them all at the foot of the cross. And we say, Jesus, build my life. Build my life. Build my life, Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I I know that there's much to be covered in this area, but Lord, I pray that it is you who speaks to us. Lord, you meet us at the bottom. You meet us in the pit. And you bring us up and you give us new life. And so, Lord, may we be better tomorrow than we are today. By your grace. May we be more generous to give because you've given so much for us. And Lord, may we be stewards of all that you've given us in a way that honors you and gives you all the glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at GraceCitySD.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.